if they work for me and they borderline homeless, I'm doing something's wrong. So just checking people's living conditions, paying them a good wage, I think is huge. And and a lot of people come to me and say, hey, Michelle, I think I'm going to pay my lash artist this. And the first thing I always tell them is, put you in their shoes. Could you feed your family making that? And if your answer is no, then you need to pay them more. If my employees don't really make it, there's no company. Always ask why. Why is this the way it is? The whole goal is to rise the industry, to grow it. Yeah, don't worry about giving us credit, guys. We're not here for that. If it grows the industry, that's what makes me happy. When you first said it, I was going to hang up. (laughs) It's not a race you want to win. Yeah, you're going to lose because it'll be too cheap. You'll be working for like McDonald's money. Otto, Mitter, on to our show from Alibana. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on board. Okay, we'll take 20. I I can't do math. I'm a beauty professional. Yeah, panning. I do teeth whitening. I'm like, okay, there's some point where you got to draw a line. My biggest concern is longevity and making sure that you've got the best possible mechanical fit. If you're looking for a lash podcast that will challenge how you do lashes, build you up, and help you create a business that not only thrives, but allows you to live a life you're proud of, you've come to the right place. This is LashCast, your friend in the lash industry. Coming to you from the City of Roses, this is the broadcast by Lash Professionals and for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Today, we are excited to have someone who's kind of exploded into the last world in the last couple of years. I mean, I really didn't even know about this brand until this year. <laughs> so, And they're, they're a very quickly growing brand, very quickly. Just when you thought, like, we're done, we have all the brands we can handle, like the it's full, the, the house is full, in comes this new company, Paris Lash Academy, and they just really, guys, in the last couple of years have come so far, so quickly. It's actually very exciting. And the magic behind this brand is someone that, actually, at first, I, I didn't know who was behind it at all, and I talked to some people, and then it, I went onto a live, and I saw this gal, Michelle, the CEO of PLA, they also known by PLA, and... Um, and I'm going to butcher her last name. It's Vietnamese. And I had a best friend, not best friend, very close friend growing up who's Vietnamese. And she pronounced her last name very differently than the way I keep hearing it pronounced now. So I always butcher, but it's Nguyen, 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 <laughs> Michelle Nguyen. It's the most common Vietnamese name. You, if you know anyone Vietnamese, you, know, you probably know someone with this last name. So Michelle, if you're listening right now, I apologize. I've butchered your name, and you can correct me when, we, uh, when I see you next time. <laughs> Anyhow, that all said, Michelle, I saw a live with her, and it was um, just not like anything I'd seen before. Um, super generous, super kind. Uh, basically, if you guys don't know, Paris pays your bills. They have this thing where they, they give away thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, and I think over the year, hundreds of thousands of dollars back to the people who support and buy from their brand really different um, take on things. And so when I watched and got to hear a little bit from her, I was like, okay, this is not your typical brand, very different. And then I got to, we got to have her on our podcast and that was really exciting. In fact, we talked for so long, we're gonna have two guys. It's gonna be a two-parter. You're gonna get to hear about her today and then come back next week and you'll get to hear part two. And really, hopefully you're gonna find out a little bit about the, the secrets behind the brand. Really, it's Michelle. I mean, she really, uh, as I think 
one of these people who's a very strong leader, thinks outside the box, does things in a way that's best for people, truly empathetic, really understands people, really cares about people, and that just bleeds through her company and through the people I've worked with because they're going to be at LashCon, and everything about this company, I just say it's top-notch. It's really quite unique, and it's exciting to see a new company kind of explode in the scene who's doing good things, helping the industry, very generous, giving back, supporting, growing, not playing caddy stuff, just really just great people. I feel like they, they go on a, long, a great line of other great brands that we know and work with who are all just we're all very generous and kind, and it's exciting to see it happen again and again. In fact, I think this is happening more and more often in our industry. I feel like we're really building a very unique uh, little world here in our lash world that uh, you don't see in the nail and hair world in the same kind of way. So it's very cool, and we're excited to have Michelle come on and talk about kind of her journey, about her company, what lessons learned along the way. You're going to get a lot, and then so you'll have to come back next week to get the full story. So don't uh, mark your calendars and be ready for part two next week. But before we do all that, let's do just a couple of quick announcements because we don't, I mean, we have a lot going on. We're in what I officially call LashCon season. Like, I don't do anything right now other than LashCon. I wake up seven days a week and I pretty much work every day except for I have a couple planned days off in the next eight weeks. Otherwise, it's just LashCon every day for me. And it's actually kind of fun. It's Christmas because this is what it's all about. It's about serving you guys Building this event that is like nothing else out there. We have over a thousand people coming right now, and we still, by the way, had some tickets um, released back to the public. Um, so you can pay eight ninety seven right now. That rate is going to go up in just two or three weeks. So if you really want to get in, buy it now, and you can divide it up to three payments uh, three weeks apart. So basically, over you paid now today like three hundred some dollars. And then you have six, three more weeks and then three more weeks. So you can make all your payments before LashCon, but at least spread it out so it's not so painful. Plane tickets are actually kind of affordable right now because it's the fall. And hotel, there is still a few rooms left at two of our sister hotels. We go to LashConference.com. You can click on the link and get a room for $189 and just um, Uber over every morning um, to the conference. So anyhow, that all said, buy your tickets. If you can't make it, if you're one of our listeners overseas, we do have a virtual ticket. It's $197. It goes up today up to 247 so if you're listening maybe too late to get the cheaper ticket but 247 guys you get all the speakers all the content for only 247 dollars and it's done live but then it's going to be recorded and put back online and you'll have like two months to watch all the content this stuff will change your business i promise you it is not just for the live parties and hang out it's the content it's the lessons it's the speakers all this stuff is transformative so you definitely want to get that and sign up today. And uh, by the way, you can meet people online. We have this whole app that we send you, and you can meet, greet, share, and you'll, it'll be like you're at the live event. You'll love it. It's really a great tool and something that we've used now for the last two years and can't wait to bring it back this year. And lastly, we also have our add-ons. If you buy a ticket and you are going to be here on Friday or Saturday, you might as well come to one of our bonus events. Day one is an all-day leadership development class. We have three different things going on that day. We have last booth collective in the evening with jenna cash from soco lashes teaching really about business in the evening and then on saturday morning before all of our, our gatherings and parties and all that we have lash lab and we have automator teaching class anna Timoni, T- timonina ali lily and tusney are all teaching courses that morning only 150 bucks for a three-hour class and just go to the website you can find the details there but you can add those on right now just go back to the lash the lashcastproductions.com and click on the add-on 
pay for that. And since you're in town, might as well add some extra value and get more more uh, lessons in. And the Lash Lab is all about lashes. So at least this is the one thing, you know, about LashCon that's actually about lashes. So go check that out. And of Tusney's Lash Retention and Styling Course is November 19th, 20th in Boston and December 3rd and 4th here in Los Angeles. So we'll be on the East Coast, West Coast. And you guys know all about that. If you really want to change and level up your lash game for 2023, take our classes at the end of this year. And you'll be set for an amazing year, um, 2023. All right, guys, that's all the announcements I have for you. Now we're going to sit down with Michelle from PLA and just get to know her a little bit and about her journey in the lash industry. Hey, guys, we are in the LashCast studios. We have Michelle from Paris Lash Academy, or otherwise known as PLA, or as I like to call them, PLA. No, I don't tell them blah. But anyhow, welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I listen to this podcast and I actually can't believe that I'll be on it. Oh. So thank you so much. Are you kidding? I just have to say, I've been doing this with Paul for a long time. And I have to tell you, honestly, he is like so excited to interview you guys. I get to see it. He's yeah. like jumping out of his skin right now. Just because <laughs> he has so much affection for what you guys have accomplished in seemingly such a short time. So it's just really kind of cool to see him like a kid in a candy store getting to interview you guys. Really. Yeah. I mean, my first introduction, I'll just share that and then we'll get into We really want to just find out and hopefully you guys listening right now. We're really going to just peek in the behind the scenes. Like how did Michelle do it? She didn't. I think it's done something very unique in our industry, and that is grow into a major brand in a time when everyone else I hear says the market's saturated. You can't do this. You know, no one else can grow. We're done with big brands. We're done with big companies. Everything's going to the small companies, and that's what it's going to be. Down. Yeah. So, and then here, Michelle, against all naysayers, goes out and builds this big company that if you don't know them yet, you should definitely go check out their information when this show is over, and I'm sure you will love them as much as we do. So my first introduction to you guys was last fall. I somehow on Instagram... Someone had reposted PLA pays your bills. I remember going, what's that? So and, he goes and he looks at it. And, and I this, watch a live. Yeah. And it's this giveaway. Where you literally pay people's bills. <laughs> like you're giving away, not just like, hey, here's a free little lash kit. Which is great. Which is great. And it's like $200 value. But you know, you guys, because you may manufacture, you distribute or whatever. I know your costs are not $200. Like it costs you maybe 50 bucks to put that together. And I'm like, okay, that's really, no, if someone does that. But no, no, you guys are giving Thousands, thousands of, of dollars. dollars away to it's people. Like, he's like, how can that be? What is that? What What is going on here? How can they afford I, to I do that? I think I remember it was November, December, and I figured out it was like $10,000 you guys gave away. And I was like, I don't know anyone in our industry that can like, afford to do that. These people are really generous. Yeah. And I'm like, there's something different about their heart, the way they're doing things. And then that's when I, I think I that's followed started, you guys. and started I, stalking you. Yeah. <laughs> started stalking. And want to know what's going on because that's so unique and it's so different. And I know so many brands are doing a lot to give back and support and encouraging it. But I've never seen anyone go to that extreme. And I remember telling Tessa said, I don't think they're a small brand because I don't know any small brands that can give away $10,000 a month and still be open next week. You know, that most of them would be like, all right, that's our last time. We just gave away all our money. We're closing. And thanks for being in business. But you guys are obviously doing something different. And so that's my introduction to you guys. And so if you're not following them and you don't know about PLA, hopefully this will give you a good peek behind the scenes and how they did it. So let's get started from the beginning. Let's go back to... Really, why did Michelle go into lashes and not automobile mechanics or whatever other business that you were tempted to go into? Why beauty? Why lashes, I guess? 
So I told a story to my VP of marketing, who's also my best friend, about a couple of weeks ago. And she goes, how the hell did I not know this? <laughs> and we've been friends for a long time. I actually came to America as an international student. Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in Vietnam. I lived there until I was 18. And then I got a partial scholarship to come to America. Cool. Living in Vietnam, I was born in South Vietnam. And my family fought on American side during the Vietnam War. And I have a big mouth. So when <laughs> I grew up and actually learned about the whole entire history, I started talking about things that I shouldn't talk about, you know, because... I live in a communist country. God, hope I hope they don't listen to this and ban me from not coming back. But I turn 18 and I start seeing things in my home country and my government I didn't really love. So my dad say, well, get out or stay here and learn to shut up and just mm -hmm. move on with your life. So when I got the partial scholarship, I left a month after I turned 18. I came as an international student, wanted to go to medical school like every other Asian child because that's what your parents say you know you become a doctors or a pharmacist of some sort. where did you go by the way what school i went to a school in arizona oh really okay great yeah and when i went there um, i realized that i hated blood <laughs> i hated biology i hated all the things that was required of me mm -hmm. to become this doctor that my parents wanted yeah. and my cousins and aunts that lives in arizona and and I'm Vietnamese, if you couldn't tell. Um, so like every other Vietnamese immigrant family, they own nail salons. So yes. naturally, I work there part-time. Um, and and um, and I kind of just, the beauty business really kind of grew on me. However, I suck at doing nails, according to my aunt. Okay. Um, she, she was just like, Michelle, yeah, no, no future in doing nails. You know, I, this is not, this is not your thing. And, and I was just stuck in this really weird limbo space where I hated what I was going to school for. And, um, and I didn't think that I would own a nail salon either. So one day I went into my cousin's salon and she started this new business where she does eyelash extensions. And I go, that's kind of cool. I'm going to watch her do it. And then I watch her for like half an hour and she goes, oh, you want to learn how to do it? I'm like, yes, absolutely. And it was, here's your tweezers and you put it on and 15 minutes later, that's how you do it. And I went home and I was so obsessed with how people look after. Oh, yeah. And I didn't realize that just by putting extensions on, people could look so different. It's so crazy. This is the thing that I tell all my students. I said, you don't really know it until you actually get a set on yourself and you open your eyes and you go like, who, who is this person? Mm -hmm. You know, and I got home. I got very obsessed with it. Obviously, my cousin at that time wasn't well trained. This was about 10 years ago when okay. eyelash extension was like very stone age in America, at least. So she was self-taught and I was self-taught. I don't know if you guys remember back in the day. At that time, there was no lash group. They had a website called Wake Up in Your yep. Makeup. Yeah, Wake Up in Your Makeup. Yep. Yes. No. Yep, that's yes. it. Yeah. So I was one of the members in there. And that was when everyone in the world, all the, I call it original, you yeah, know, the all the OGs, OGs of yeah. the lash world came and talked about lashes and how do you apply. I mean, volumes was not a thing. No. You know, people no. was lashing in 0 0.20 mm -hmm. horsehair lashes. Yeah. Brow, brow extensions were just about to enter the market. And they were loose in the pot. <laughs> You know, you had to put them on. Yeah, I think it was 2012, it, it, 2013 when brow extensions came out too. When people were like, oh, you know, we'll put extensions on brows. And we're like, yes. no, that's, that's not, not going to work. work. That's not yeah. going to work. It, 
It was insane. And I, I remember Jill, who used to own Lush FX, and yep. a lot of the OG was the one that really helping keeping that website informed and helping people out and growing together. And I was one of the student beginners that stock that whole website like every yeah. day. And mm-hmm. that's how I sort of learned. And then I became a Lush artist. And I thought that was just going to be a side gig until I finish college and mm. do whatever else. And then one day I say, do you know what? I really want to do this for a living. I think I'm going to be great at this. I went and told my parents. Did they cry? Oh, <laughs> my parents are incredibly supportive oh, people. But I think they just like all the parents, especially Asian parents are very big into you can get your degree and then you can do whatever else you want. Yeah, yeah. You can do that on the side. It took quite a bit of convincing for my parents. And I told my mom, I said, mom, if I do this and I do this right, I'll make more than what a doctor makes. And I think deep down, it's just their security for them, right? They want me to have security and they want me to be able to pay my own bills and have a good life. So I told them, I said, give me like a couple of years to try this. And if I suck at this and I can't pay my own bills and things like that, I'll go back to school and, you know, and then I'll get a nursing degree or a pharmacist degree or a PA, whatnot. And my mom said, sure. So two years later, after being a lash artist, I make more than my friend who was a PA (laughs) that owes probably like 200 grand in medical, you know, in like school bills and school loans and stuff. And then my parents are like, okay, well, now that we know you're not going to be homeless, you know, you can do whatever you want. And then I got my first studio then I took in a couple assistants. Then I opened my first salon here in Reno, Nevada. Why Reno? I mean, I have to admit, you guys have the most remote lash yeah. brand in America. There's no one that would know that a brand would be in Reno. <laughs> I ask myself that every day. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love Arizona. I love big city. I love events. I love all the great things that a big city has to offer. I, at one time, um, lived in Los Angeles oh, wow. and, and Northridge. I didn't oh. live too far from where you guys are at in Pasadena, right? Yep. And my husband's from Reno. Oh. So I follow a boy here. You follow Yeah. <laughs> You know, I have a tiny little connection to Reno. Another lifetime ago, I used to be a flight attendant for Reno Air. Oh, my god! They don't exist anymore. Yeah, and they got bought out by American Airlines, but um, it was the biggest little airline in the world. That's what the tagline was. When we first met, she went to beauty school, but then for some reason you left after you got done with beauty school, you decided you want to be a flight attendant, so she became a flight attendant. So our hub was in Reno, so I, uh, love that. I was in Reno quite a bit. She trained for a month, right? I think it was a whole month. Yeah, flight attendant in- school was in Reno. I moved to Reno, and I was just like, what is this place? <laughs> and, and I moved to Reno about 10 years ago, I okay. think. 10 years ago. And in Reno at that time, the cool place to go was the movie Theater and Dillard. Oh, like, yeah. That was, Dillard, yeah. That was yeah. that. Like there was no other place. Yeah. And otherwise you go to like Tahoe. And I think I cried like the first oh, three months that I moved here. And I'm like, I miss good restaurants. Yeah. I miss good shopping. I miss my friends. I missed all my family. And my husband goes, but I have great friends here and they're great outdoors. And I'm like the least outdoorsy person that you're ever going to meet. <laughs> so I tell my husband, I said, well, you know, I'll try. I'll try for a year. And if I still hate it, then we're going to move to California or Arizona. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I don't think I live any elsewhere. Wow. Um, now, I think just because of the community that we build around, Reno has also grown a ton. So last like three years, mm-hmm. we have our challenges because we obviously didn't pick Reno to be 
the location for PLA. So we have challenges when it yeah. comes to like shipping because it's not a big city and, you know, and we have rough winter and things like that. But I don't think I train my team in Reno for any other big city. And we talk about possibly move PLA's headquarter to a big city with other advantages, you know, that helps us with shipping and auto logistic. And then I'm like, I'm not going to ask my whole team to move mm. to Arizona. They're not going to. And I love my team so much that I think we're just going to make it work here. So I think it's very interesting because it really is a disadvantage. Yeah, the be in the small town. I think shipping for you must be in logistics gets a lot more difficult. And for you guys to be able to do that, that's and be committed. I love the region. I grew up as a kid going to Tahoe and Truckee and all these places as a kid in Reno is just on the other side, but still it's in the same region. I remember. And I just, I loved it as a kid. It was for me, the best place in the world to be up in that Tahoe area region. And what you guys have is it's a beautiful place. It really is a beautiful area. And I think anyone who gets a chance should go out there and check it out because it really is um, quite beautiful. Now Tuss is kind of like you. I'm like you. I'm the least outdoorsy person ever. So, so she, she won the battle where I want to do outdoor things. And she's like, no, no, let's go to a hotel and, yeah, and know, sit by the pool. Let's get room service, right? <laughs> hey, you know, that's good for you that you adapted. And I love my wife still, you know, I've had to yeah. sacrifice and give up. Wait, we've been to Tahoe, I think, what, twice? Listen, I grew up, we went to Tahoe every year. And it's like, I didn't like the snow and it's I did, you know, yeah. the pine needles. The this, this snow still gets to me. I tried snowboarding once. This happened when we were dating. My husband thought that, you know, he would convince me to yeah. love Reno by taking me go snowboarding, not knowing how uncoordinated <laughs> I am. Um, so my marketing team would know this. I my worst nightmare is them asking me to dance or do anything coordinated. So he took me go snowboarding. I fell flat on my face the first like two minutes that I was out there. And yeah. I'm like, hell no. No more. So I watched them snowboard and guard all this stuff. And then that's what I do almost every winter now because we have a good group of friends that go snowboard. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, it, Reno doesn't get that much snow. Tahoe does, yeah. but yeah. Reno will probably get what, three snowstorm a year. Yeah. So that's too bad. I have a similar story. I was so excited. The first time my parents took me skiing. I was so excited for the lesson. I was so excited. I just couldn't wait to do it. We had pizza right before we went out to the lesson. And I was so excited. Once I got into the snow, I became so nervous that my stomach started bothering me. And all of a sudden, I threw up right in the training rink. This oh, no. huge, like, Aww. barf right in the white white snow. And then I was so mortified. So all I did was spend the rest of the day in the infirmary. And then my job was guarding the stuff. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> We could be friends. Yeah, yes, you guys exactly. could be, yeah, you know, be table friends. You guys hang in the lodge while we all ski and loads of fun. Yes. Or no, or me and Tesco shopping. Oh, yeah, there you we'll go. Go shop. shop. We'll, and we'll get the room service. <laughs> yes, that's right. All right. So you basically moved to Reno and you decided to be a lash artist up there. You get, obviously your husband takes you up there. And so you, do, you open a salon. Is that what happens next? And you decide to hire some people and see how that goes? Yeah, so I rented dinky, tiny little salon, a studio in a pretty decent sized salon in Reno. And I picked the smallest room at that time because my husband was in college still. And I was the main income person that worked for the whole entire family. And I couldn't afford a big suite. So I rented a $500 room, which is tiny. I'm pretty sure it's not up to coat because it like (laughs) you could fit like one massage table against the wall and then you could barely walk the other side. So you can't really turn around. I worked at that room for about six months and 
I was probably one of the only three lash artists in Reno at that time. And when people were asking me what I do for a living and they say, oh, I do lash extension. They looked at me like I have two horns and, you know, five arms. But I think the advantage was we didn't have too many lash artists. So I grew my clientele very quickly. And I think within six months, I rent another room and hire in an assistant and train her. And then by the time I had two people that works with me, then I go, do you know what? This is nonsense. I'm paying 1500 bucks for three rooms and I may as well just go out and rent a space and open my own salon. So I did. I went out and rent a space. I was in my mid, a little bit past mid 20 at that time. And when I say that, young and fearless, have no idea what a lease looked like, have no idea what my overhead is really like. I just have no idea. There was a space right by my apartment at that time that they went out of business. It was a hair salon. It went out of business. And I came over and I said, really like to rent this space and change it into like a, a salon of my own. It was about 4,000 square feet. Oh my no gosh. idea how big it's <laughs> how 4,000 square feet. No idea how big it was. And I just came and I'm like, this will do. Yeah. So I rented it, started with four people together. One of them is myself. And um, I walked in there and the first month I was very overwhelmed on how huge the space was. You should have seen my grand opening. Mm-hmm. There was one giant table and you could fit 200 people inside that place. It was mm-hmm. so empty. Mm-hmm. But we just worked super, super hard and put every dime into it, remodeled it and kind of built it. By the time that I sold that salon about two years ago, I owned it for six years. By the time we sold it, I think we had about 40 employees. Oh my gosh. So yeah. That's so, amazing. So have, for yeah, for so a little have, town like that, they have a oh, yeah. big, were you the biggest salon in the region or? We, we were the biggest salon in Reno. Uh, we, I think that salon still is the biggest salon in Reno. We took over both of the suite next to us oh, when they became available. So they were a little bit over 5,000 square foot by the time that we sold them and it had 40 employees. Majority of them, you know, we hired them and they stayed with us until the very end where we, um, when we sold them. So it was lashes only? It was half lash, half nails of the salon kind of split down in half and okay. half of them's a nail and then half of them's a sweets for lashes. So we okay. have, I think, about 12 lash artists by then. Which is yeah. really impressive to see you build a salon because, again, a lot of people complain, oh, I live in a small community. It's really tough. It's really rough. I can't do this. There's not enough people. But the truth is, Reno, how many people? I mean, I know it's not puny, but how many people live in the Reno area? 400,000. Okay, so 400,000 is not tiny. I mean, there's people that live in towns of like 10,000 and all, but still 400,000 is not monster town. You're a small to medium, I guess, community. And for you to be able to carry and build a salon, I think that's, it's impressive and, and says something very unique about what you guys did. I mean, what was your secret as someone, I'm sure there's people here that would love to have a team. What was it that allowed you to grow and expand and, and build like that? Was there anything that you felt like you did in your salon that gave you guys an advantage over other people? I do have people come to me and ask me all the time, how do we tain our employees and then how we keep our employees for as long as we did. And I would say when I came here as an international student, I couldn't legally work. I had a student visa, mm-hmm. but I worked because I yeah. came from a farm town because, mm-hmm. you know, my parents just couldn't support me going yeah. through school. The money exchange was too huge and I had to pay my way through school. So I illegally worked and I had very 
terrible bosses is what mm. I would say my biggest lessons in owning a business. I've had some bosses that I went home and said, do you know what? If I've ever owned a business one day, I would never, never. do that to yeah. my employee. And as rough that was at 18 and 19, they taught me such a great lessons on how to not be a boss that everyone hate. So our salon had, we had a lot of challenges um, when I own my salon or when we built a salon was mostly because I have no background in business. I have no experience on owning a business. This was my first ever business. So I made a lot of mistake financially. I made a lot of mistake when I negotiate my lease. I make a lot of mistake on picking the insurance company product line and things. But I think when I bring in my employee, I was very transparent with them about, hey, this is a learning process for me too. And I'm on the same boat as you are. And, you know, I'm lashing as you are. So kind of bear with me. And I didn't have family here. My whole entire family that worked with me at PLA didn't really come into the pictures until the last like three years. So my employees that I had at that time, along with my husband, was my family. So, you know, through thick and thin and we cry and we get mad at each other and all the things. But I always make sure that I treated them how I wanted to be treated as when I was an employee. And I think that was the biggest thing. And it sounds really cliche to say, but I would say PLA and the salon that I own is a prime example of how you treat your people is that's the people that build your company. You can't do all the things on your own. I mean, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are, how much money you have or whatever it is. Um, but if your team doesn't give two shit about your company, you on your own. They're clocking in, they're clocking out. Yeah. And then before hours and after hours and between hours, you kind of on your own. They're there to earn a paycheck. So the people that work with me at the salon, we kind of hire them as the salon grows. So we hire them one by one. We give them their training and we just treat them like people. Just treat them like human beings. And I think that's a lot of people say it's refreshing to work for a company where you can tell who's the owner when you come to the salon. Because I was lashing and I was doing everything else the same as they were. They didn't think that the owners or the managers that ran the salon were bossing people around and treat them like minions. I think that was very, very important. And then I think it helped that I trained. So when people came in, we hire people with no experience. And when they come in, we trained them. And then we were able to get them on the same technique, the same level of skills, the same timing. Our team was very consistent in, in terms of skills. So when when clients come in and will say, if they came in and see me and I was completely booked, I was very comfortable passing them to any of my employees because they do the same thing that I do. Um, we were very strict at training. So, you know, client may be resistant at first and go like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I want to stay with you. But once they tried out our other employees and they go, oh, yeah, it's not that much different. Then then it's a preference of who they like more personality. Then that way it allows us to build our salon um, that quickly. We went from four employees to 40 employees, which is max that we could actually house at that time within a matter of about two and a half, three years. Wow, that's insane growth. That's really amazing. And I think one of the things I wanted to point out that I think a lot of people who are building a business really taking care and treating your people with respect and honor. Right. And I think the big thing too, you says you trained them. And I can't believe how many times I remember when I'd be interviewing people and talking to them about lashes when we were hiring and no one was training their team. No one, people just hire them, put them on the floor, you figure it out. And they weren't invested in them. And I bet it sounds like you were invested in your people to the point where you trained them, you equipped them, you gave them what they needed so that they could build their build the business. And that creates loyalty and they're grateful for that. And I think 
a lot of salons hire people, just put them on the floor and say, good luck. (laughs) Yeah, it's so hard, right? Because eyelash extensions is not something that you could just watch and figure it out. There's so much science in eyelash extensions. And most people don't realize that. And they don't realize what good training could do and set people up for success. Because if you don't have good training, majority of them quit within the first month. Mm. There's too much things to figure out on their own. And I, I think when we own the salon, when I own the salon, half of my last artist, actually came from my nail team so we were really big on like promote and train within so they usually start out if they come in as a nail technicians and then they do nails and they go I really want to learn how to do lashes but they don't have an esthetician or a cosmetology license Mm. and if they show the commitment and they show like hey I really want this what we do is we loan them the amount of money to pay for the esthetician school and then after they're done we train them and then they work for us so we have employees that work for us for like five years four years up all the way until I sold the salon. And I think in the six years I owned it, I think we had two people that quit and one wow. of them moved out That's of the state. phenomenal. This is a lot about your leadership. Can I pick your brain about, you said we treat them like human beings. Can you give us an example of what that looks like? So the stories that I have about going to work for terrible bosses, I think I almost have PTSD yeah. from it because I grew up very sheltered. I grew up on a farm. My parents never raised their voice. And then I got thrown into here where I didn't speak the English very good at that time. I, you know, English was my second language. I learned and I worked at restaurants. I took the orders wrong. I got screamed by the owner. I got stuff thrown at me, which mm. I'm pretty sure most of that shit is illegal. Yes. You know, like yes. knowing what I know now is illegal. I tell my employees um, it's okay. I can throw stuff at them. But otherwise, <laughs> you're right. It's bad. You shouldn't allow that. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I worked at a salon here. In Reno, um, when I first moved here, before I got enough money to get my suite, I worked at a salon and I worked there six days a week, 10 hours a day, work about wow. 60 hours a week and and no lunch break. You're not, you were not allowed to have lunch break. <sighs> they were... And they were constantly shouting and yelling at you. And I was 19. I didn't know any better. I didn't know how to say no. And I'm a people pleaser. So I didn't know how to say no. And one day I had enough of it. And I told my husband, I'm going to run a suite. I'm going to show them that I could really do this. Then I did. And then I remember I finished my first day of work at my suite. And I called my husband in the middle of the parking lot of a grocery store at like 3 p.m. And I said, I'm going to cook dinner. What do you want for dinner? And he goes, Michelle, it's 3 p.m. Why are you talking about cooking dinner? I said, because I'm done with my work day. And I make as much (laughs) as I do working for them for three days, you know, slaving until 8 p.m. So all of those things, when I went to own my salon. I really want them to feel valued when yeah. they work there. I want them to know that they built my business. Yeah, I may be a great lash artist, but that's not 40 of me. So I contribute a lot of our company success to the wonderful team that I have because they are the one that do the work. And, and you know, you may give them guidance. You may say, hey, this need to be done. Or you may say, this is the project that we work on. But I believe in praising your employees when they put in the amount of work. I believe in paying them fairly. Can you squeeze your new lash artist for a little bit extra money because they knew an inexperience? You probably could because they don't know any better. But why would you? I mean, you know, if you make an extra $200 a week for, you know, from one lash artist, it probably wouldn't make a difference in your life, but it would in their life. So like, you know, people first start out, whether they're training or whether they're not training, I pay them and make sure that they they can pay their bills. 
if they work for me and they borderline homeless, I'm doing something's wrong. Yes. So just taking people's living conditions, paying them a good wage, I think is huge. And and a lot of people come to me and say, hey, Michelle, I think I'm going to pay my lash artist this. And the first thing I always tell them is put you in their shoes. Could you survive making that? Could you feed your family making that? And if your answer is no, then you need to pay them more. You know, you as an owner sometimes will stay late and take a set off because, you know, the person had an allergic reactions and your employees has a life. They have children. They can't be there at 8 p.m. and take them off. You as an owner will probably have to cut back on your spending because you have to make sure your employees are taken care of. If they don't make enough money working for you, then they'll go work for someone else. Yeah. Then you screwed. That's something that I've learned along the way where if my employees don't really make it, there's no company. There may be one brilliant lash artist who's an owner who has some capital to put in after years of saving, but there's no real business if you don't have employees. And people can just walk away from you if you don't treat them right. They have that option. This is not slavery. Some owners feel like because they bring in someone, they own the lash artist. It's a common trait that I see. And I said... People walk away from their spouses. Yeah. What makes you think that you hold over them, that they're not going to walk away from you if you treat them crappy or don't pay them a good wage, especially nowadays, COVID time, you know, it's so Mm. hard to find employees. If you don't treat them well, then, then yeah, no, they don't have to work for you. A salon owner comes to me with such anger, resentment and animosity and say, oh my God, I'm so mad. I trained her and then they left me. And I said, well, it's not a matter that she left you. What did you do to make her want to stay? You know? Because eventually everyone will leave. Everyone will move on to the next best thing because they have to. But the point of being an owner of the salon is what do you do to help them with that growth? And then they will give you 110% while they're growing with you. They will outgrow your business and they will move on. And if you're going to be upset and mad and angry, then that's that's just more wrinkles for you. (laughs) I love that. And I think that's a great mentality because you're right. I think we struggled with that feeling when we were salon owners that when someone came and worked for us, we always had this dream like, oh, we're going to work forever together. And that's just ridiculous. It's a, it's a fantasy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, no, no. People have stages of life. I did that. I never worked for one company my whole life. Why would I expect anyone to come and work with me for the rest of my life? Yep. And we yeah. also, we made mistakes in the beginning. They were leaving us and they were justified in doing it because we weren't providing other things that they needed. Well, I think the mentality you said, you want to give them reasons why they should stay. I think a lot of people try to do the minimum so they won't leave. And so I remember one job I had early in my life, a guy says, you know, the employer's job is just pay you just enough so you won't leave. And the employee's job is just just do enough so they won't get fired. And I remember thinking, that sucks. That's a horrible mentality. I reject that. I do not want to be that person. If As an employee, I don't want to be just doing enough so I don't get fired. I want to do my best. And if I ever became an owner, I want to do more so that I attract people to me. I want to overwhelm them with yeah, like you said appreciation. I think that's one of the most under never talked about in our industry. Like how much do you appreciate the people that work in your business and help you build your business? How do you invest in them through thank yous and gifts and this encouragement Programs. and all that and that type of stuff or trainings and that type of stuff. So showing that appreciation is huge. And I think that you've proven that what most people in this industry think that one year, I think, is kind of the average lifespan for a lash artist in a salon. One year. Maybe two is a great Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And you yeah. Went out and did five, six years and lost only two people. It says a lot about your leadership. Bravo. I mean, and, and that's another thing I want to point out is that when people leave your business, they leave the business because of you. That's why they're leaving. People leave owners 
They don't leave businesses. They leave you because they're like, okay, I'm done. I've grown them as most I can underneath this leader. I've gotten the most opportunity I can with this leader. Whatever it is they could get, they've gotten it, and they're done and ready to move on to a new challenge or new things. Or if you're a strong leader, like it sounds like, and we, we barely know each other, but I can already tell that you have these abilities, these skills, and that you've, you're, you're just developed naturally or you just are a very, very good quick learner, and that you just – built a business that gave people opportunity, gave them appreciation, showed them that they had new things they could do. And so they grew with you. And thus, you know, here you, you had a salon for six years and barely lost anyone. Yeah. I mean, I feel lucky, but I also feel like, because I learned a lot of this as I go, I made a mistake where I look back and I go, oh gosh, I really wish I didn't do that. But nobody was there to kind of hold my hand and say like, hey, do this and do that instead. If the owner is nice and genuinely is interested and invested in the company, then they have to be invested in the growth of their people. It's crazy to think that anyone's going to come and work with you for 10 years and do not get a raise, do not make more money, Mm -hmm. do not get to move up in the company or or are not allowed to have a life of their own, you know, Mm -hmm. or move on to open their own company um, one day. So, so, so I don't understand when people get very upset about that. I'm like, well, you didn't stay for forever. (laughs) You own your own business. There was a breakup somewhere, some back in the line. So yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Now for you, so we got to the salon and you, you had one salon. I know you added a second salon eventually. You expanded and the second salon was a lash salon. I guess we can, you know, we'll, I won't get to PLA. So let, we'll skip through all that. That's so we know that was saying. So then somewhere along the line, you're building these salons and you say, you know what? I want to move into products, training and other stuff. So what was that transition or what was the impetus that got you to go in that direction? So my salon was actually named Paris too. And if, Four years ago, you told me that I would have sold my salon and sell product. I would have set you crazy. Mm. That was my baby. I lived there. I breathed there. I lived five minutes away from there. It was my life. And then when we got to about 12 lash artists, my supplies bill was insane. I was paying everything retail price. And my adhesive that I was using at that time, I was buying adhesive from Lash FX. Jill has you know, amazing adhesive. And I was paying $65 a bottle of adhesive. Yeah. And with 12 lash artists. Yeah. We know your pain. We had a team of about 12 to 14 slash artists. And, and oh my yeah, gosh. and we, yeah. we quickly learned to buy directly from Asia. Yes. <laughs> and then your lashes and tiles and everything else on top of it. So one day I said, Do you know what? They don't make these stuff at you know, their own company. Some of the products are made in USA, some are made in UK, some made in Asia, whatnot. But they obviously didn't make it in Arizona. Yeah. So they got it then from somewhere. And I said, I'm just going to try to source some of my product and I don't have to pay retail for this. So I start sourcing products and my dad's an entrepreneur. He has a million things that he have tried in the past and they have always been very encouraging. So I said, okay, I'll try it. What's the worst? I'll end up with a bunch of product that I'm just going to use for my salon. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up sourcing first my adhesive and then my lashes and then my tweezers. And then I order a very, very small order of a hundred tweezers or 50 adhesive to start with whatnot and then I see how cheap it would get if I order 500 and then I did the math and I go wait it cost me the same to order 500 and 200 why wouldn't I get 500 instead so I start ordering them in like a little bit bigger order and then one day I came home I remember I was standing in in my parents kitchen my life at that time was a circus show I had 
a toddler. My husband barely just finished school. I run a salon and it was a zoo every day. I feel like playing firefighter every day because yeah. I go to work, you know, someone will cancel, someone will call in sick and, you know, it's not over until 8 p.m. and everyone goes home. So, um, and then I got home, I was standing in my dad's kitchen and I said, I told my dad, I said, I think I'm going to try to sell some of these stuff, you know, and then make some extra money. So then that way I could hire an extra receptionist to cover me. So then I don't have to close the night shift um, and be home maybe by 6.30 and see my kids before they go to bed. And my, my dad's like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I was like, I have no website. I don't even know how to build a website. Okay. I don't know how to do any of these things. I don't know any lash fund because honestly, I'm in Reno, Nevada. There was mm -hmm. no lash fund in Reno. And I say, I'm going to try to sell some of these in some of the lash group that they have. And lash group was at the very beginning stage at that point. And then I went on there. Everyone was very hunger for information. Nobody was sharing anything. Nobody was teaching anyone anything. What year and was I, this? When was this? Four years ago. Wow. Okay. 2018. Okay. Yep. 2018. So lash group, there was full of beginner questions and nobody know how to read adhesive. Nobody had know how to pick anything. And they go, well, here goes my audience. I could just help. So I started out with just answering. I dedicated at that time. I penciled in three hours of my time every day. Didn't wow. matter if it wins, if my kids cried, if whatever happens. And I was on last group for three hours every day answering everyone's questions. And I didn't even have a product line yet. So when I started and then I became a face that beginners knew because I was answering a lot of questions. So when I announced, like, I think three, four, five months after that, that I have some products for sale, people was willing to give me a try. Because I think at first they just feel like because I've been helping and giving mm -hmm. them advice that they'll be like, well, I'll try what to use, you know, yeah, and kind of see yeah. what it's yeah. like. Yeah. And then my Shopify launch, my brother built my website through Shopify and I think it has like six items. Mm -hmm. And it started from the extra supplies I have from the salon in like a one tiny bucket in the garage. Um, <laughs> and it, it was very sad. I still have the pictures i have one tiny bucket <laughs> and i went home and told my dad i said dad I, I think i could really do this a lot of people don't really know what they're buying and i know what stuff is good so i think i could sell this my husband looked at me and say on what time do you have that yeah. you are going to do this and until today i said i'm shocked my husband didn't leave me because mm. i have no time for him i got irritated if he say hi babe you know because <laughs> i had twenty thousand things going on and my dad he just looked at me he said do you know what why don't you teach me eyelash extensions and then i will pack the orders for you and then i will do that for you and i said you would and he wow. goes yes i would so my dad who was retired have never even know anything about eyelash extensions has no idea what the hell that is um sit down at my kitchen table and i taught him about length about curve and about all the things and he said i'll pack them for you so it started with me and my dad and i told my dad i said dad when i grow this when i could sell fifty thousand dollars a month when my shopify hit fifty thousand dollars a month i will sell my salon and i will quit and i will do this full time mm. i love being a lash artist but i think deep down i'm an entrepreneur by yes. heart I'm by far 
not the best lash artist I know. And I'm a very mediocre lash artist. I am slow. I'm just particular, but I've seen so many amazing lash artists that I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks amazing. You know, so many of my lash technician in my salon's lashes look better than I did. They were very creative. I wouldn't say I'm a very creative person, but I, I say I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I get that from my dad. So I told him when I start selling them, I get more excited making $100 selling lash product than having a $5,000 gross pay at the salon. It is insane. It was just a weird <laughs> switch in my head. Yeah. And then I told my husband, I said, I'm going to do this. And he go, you want to go back to eating ramen noodle again? And I said, well, I'm not going to put all our money into it. I said, I'm going to put $10,000 into this. And that was all the money that I really had to spare, I think, mm-hmm. at that time between kids' funds and all the things. And my parents just got to America at that time. They didn't really work. I had siblings that were still in schools. And, you know, I was the main person that kind of provide. The salon was. So I told him, I said, I'm going to put 10 grand in and no more. I cannot make it grow from 10 grand. I promise you I'm not going to burn through our saving. I'm not going to put our family at risk. And it just grew from there. And I say at the first year, a lot of our growth was um, with just me grinding on Lash Group, was me filming content on the clients that I had. And then I brought in... Caitlin, who you've met, Caitlin McInich, she's now our VP of marketing, bringing Caitlin to, you know, to help with PLA when I actually know PLA will actually be a business has been one of the biggest part that helped our company growth because I know nothing about social media. I barely have a Facebook and that's that. So uh, (laughs) I still ask her every day, how do you copy and paste this? How do you share this? And that's not one of my strong suit. And, And Caitlin had play that big part in our company. But I did not quit. I did not keep my word and keep and quit the salon when we hit $50,000 a year. Mm. Uh, sorry, $50,000 a month, yeah. month in sales. Because at that time, I didn't think that I... What a lot of people don't realize about this business that I tell them to really consider this when you're going into selling products is this is a cash swallowing monster. Absolutely. The more that you sell the more money that is going to cost you to prep for the next three months. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have products that's at manufacturer that you pay for, products on a boat, products is on the air, products is waiting to be sorted, products on a shelf waiting to sell through. So at $50,000 a month in sales, I did not make enough money to support my family to quit lashing. And I was just like, "Uh, I don't think so. So we kept going and I kept lashing and I cut down on my days of lashing a little bit. I cried the day that we hit a hundred grand sales a month on Shopify in the parking lot of my salon. Mm. My husband walked up and I don't cry. I never cried. Yeah. And my husband pulled up the car and I walked out because I wanted to share with him to be the first person that see that. I walked up to him and I put the phone like, because I think my husband was supportive, but I think deep down the salon was doing so well. He didn't want us to risk it, you know, and I understand. So I so badly wanted to prove him that I could do it. I hold a phone so close to his face. I'm like, look, look, I saw a hundred grand this month. And that was the moment that I knew I had to let the salon go to, to pursue this full time. And I said, I could make this business so much bigger if I actually work 80 hours a week on it and not the salon. You know, I was working probably about 20 hours a week on PLA 
mostly at night after mm-hmm. I get home. The job after the job. Yeah. And then I told my parents, I said, I'm going to sell the salon. It, me selling the salon is a pitch that I have to pitch to everyone. Yeah. Because everyone's like, you're crazy, girl. Like, you're crazy. And I said, no, but this will be so much bigger yeah. than myself. It's going to hold you back, right? It's going to keep you from being able to really invest and grow. It was so much time I was putting in that salon and I was so sleep deprived. And when you make business decisions at two o'clock in the morning and you're not a hundred percent at your best, I make so many mistakes that I'm like, well, that was stupid, Mm -hmm. but I was not functioning a hundred percent. And that was the things that now when people come to me as a brand owner and say, Hey, what would you do? You know, then, then I give them all the advices, but that was when I say I could live on this. I could make this a business and survive on this. So I went home. I pitched my husband, I pitched my mom, my dad, my sisters, everyone that worked there. And then finally they said, do it. Fine. It's fine. Then I had to break the news to my employees because mm-hmm. I, I found a buyer like that. At that time, our salon was bringing about $1.6 million a year. Yeah. And to let that go, to go with this, which I have no experience with, there's no certainty. I was still selling out the garage at that point. So it would be giving up like a 5,500 square feet salon to a garage, not even my garage, my dad's garage. It was a huge leap of faith, but we found a buyer really quickly. And then the heartbreaking part was sit my employees down and told them that I've sold the salon because everything was NDA, nobody knew. And then Mm. the day that I handed the key over was the day that I told them. Oh, wow. Can I ask about that? Because we had to close the salon. It was not pretty. So I'm just really curious to find out how they reacted. Did they feel betrayed? What went down? So at the last, I say six months before I sold the salon, I spent about maybe five days a week at the salon and about two days a week at home. And that's very little for me at the salon. I usually at the salon seven days a week. So they already knew that I was working on something else. They knew I had this product line that was selling. I don't think... Everyone was shocked. Like you could pick their jaw up from the floor. I I asked them, I said, hey, can you guys come in at 7.30 today? We open at 9. And if we had a staff meeting, we usually come in like 20 minutes earlier. And I said, it's mandatory. You guys have to come in. We have a really big announcement. So everyone came in and everyone was thinking we remodeling or whatever. And I sold the salon to actually one of my employees. Mm-hmm. So so I think that softened the blow just a little bit. Yeah. But before I sold the salon, um, I have went really out of my way to work and make sure that everything stays the same. It didn't, but that's a whole nother story that yeah. we get to. <laughs> but from what I could, like within my power, I make sure that we negotiate that into our contract that everyone gets to keep their job. Mm-hmm. Everyone pay stays the same and whatnot. And I told them, I said, I have to move on. And as much as I love the salon, and I loved everyone. And I appreciate so much that you guys helped get my company to this point. I want to do something else. And I didn't think it was fair that I was trying to juggle two business at that time. Neither of them were doing really super wonderful up to its full potential. And I was not there all the time for my employees that needed me like I did a year ago. So I told them, I said, hey, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is who's going to buy it. This is all the conditions that I negotiate in and it's going to stay the same. And I'm here. If you ever need me, I'm here. If you ever need training again, let me know. I'm here. If you ever come out and be an independent lash artist, come talk to me. I'll get you your supplies at my cost. Super big discount. If you need anything, let me know. Mind you, at the point that I sold the salon, it was about six months, four, 
five to six months after COVID. Mm-hmm. We closed for COVID for 10 weeks. We had a tons of people at that time. A lot of them didn't get unemployment, you know, because unemployment went so far behind and this and that. Yeah. About half of the salon owe me money. So like we give them advances and I knew we were going to sell it. Yeah. We already had the owner, the sales secure before COVID hit. And during the time that we closed, we say, we're not going to hand a salon over. I want to get it back to where it is before I hand that over. So the sale was on the download. Half of the salon was owing me money at that point mm-hmm. because we give them advances on their checks. About four or five people on there, we pay for their school to be an esthetician. So I said at that time, take your time to pay it back if you big money, catch up to your bills, whatnot. I was ready to wash my hands and say, it's fine. It's good. It's great. We had a great six year. I had a great run. Almost every single people pay me back oh, wow. up until this. Can you believe it's a that? Yeah, it's, crazy. I, it's crazy. I had a kid that I pay for her esthetician school. It was $15,000. And she signed me her last check to pay back for esthetician school about two months ago. Oh, she signed me a $500 check every month that she get paid. I didn't have a contract. I just paid for it. I could have taken them to court if yeah. I wanted to. And, and they did. And they honor what we did. And it was such an amazing relationship. We all cried because I knew that I wanted to do something else, but I feel so bad that I couldn't be there for them. But they also, on the same note, were very happy for me. I did not expect that. I would have to say I did not expect that. I expect them to get very mad at me, very angry, especially the sell was already happening for six months. I knew this was going to go through for six months, but I didn't want to shake their life up. There was no sense of doing that. And they were all like, oh my gosh. And they were so I'm so happy for you. And I told them that I would always still going to be here for them. Funny enough, a lot of them now work at PLA. So some of them quit their job as slash artists or nail technicians, and they work here at the PLA's headquarter. And I think it's the relationship that we built. But it was rough. The the sell of the salon, when the new ownership takes over, obviously things are different. As much as they ensure you that it's going to be the same, it's not going to be the same. So my employees of that salon went through a really rough couple of years, the new owners selling them. It had just sold again um, about a month ago. But a lot of the lash artists there, if they quit that salon, then they go to the other locations to work or we help them kind of get their own suite and set up. So we still have great relationship with them. A lot of them come in and film for contents and things like that. Some of the nail technicians now work at the warehouse, which I think is a, is, is funny. But I say it went as well as it could have. We were all sad, but nobody was angry. I had a few people that wished they had the opportunity to buy it. And I wish that I sold it to different people, but that's something that haunted me for the last two years. But you never know, you don't know. Hey guys, that's a wrap. We are done. We are out of here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. If you want to hear the second half of this interview, well, you're going to have to wait one week. We'll be back next week on Friday with the second half with Michelle. And I promise you, it is well worth it. So please mark your calendars. Otherwise, I want to ask you to please follow us on Instagram at LashCast and at The Lash Conference. And remember to subscribe, share, and review. By the way, the review is the big one, guys. We really, really do love to read the reviews. And it's kind of like your payments. Like, you know, this whole thing we do for free. Two podcasts a week, no payment. But when you write the review, it's like, oh, there you go. That makes us feel good. It helps us burn that, the fire, the candle, whatever I'm thinking of. Burn something. 
anyhow, so please, if you can do that, that would be great, guys. Really do appreciate the love and, the re- and all of you do, who do support us and reach out to us. It means everything. On behalf of my last baby bee, Tusney, as well as our special guest, Michelle, I want to thank you for taking some time to listen. Keep on lashing. And remember, you have a friend in the lash industry. <laughs> <laughs>